1: In addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. Wow, that's a lot to be the master of. (laughs) And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observations, which have been more than just a few, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance as well as the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, because I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about how it was that I ended up um, in Alaska, where there's um, a, a large Native population that I got to intersect with. And, you know i 'm going to also talk about the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, and as a result of my training and experience and observations, I primarily practice bankruptcy law again, I find bankruptcy law fascinating because it 's about economics and it's about debt debtors and creditors, which most of us are one or the other, or sometimes both, and how it is our Constitution has come up with a way to help us resolve our disputes about our intersection as being debtors and creditors or borrowers and lenders, and uh, how we can resolve these matters without having to come to blows. Although sometimes in court, (laughs) it seems like parties are just about ready to come to blows. Okay, and I also practice the related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate and, of course, taxation law. And with these areas of law as my reference points, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last almost 40 years both before and after getting my license to practice law fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because, as I've shared with you, I grew up as a military brat, and I always will be one, and I also helped create another one with my former spouse who was also in the military, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. You know, I. Keep telling you because it's important to me and I hope it's important to you that I was raised by a father who believed in giving back to our individual communities and our society as a whole. And on top of that, he exposed me to his mom, who was one of the two great grandmothers that I had and got to know and spend a lot of time with and actually became friends with. Uh, And I just have so uh, much respect for both my maternal and paternal grandmothers because they both survived and even learned how to thrive in in an economy here in the United States where they had to deal with the four great economic challenges of the last century. That is to say, the Great Depression, which hopefully we will never have to suffer through again, World War II, and hopefully we won't have to suffer through another world war, although Sometimes it looks like we might, as well as the systemic racism and misogyny that, I must admit, continues through into our society today. And as these women helped raise me and loved me and always shared with me the great stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South that really did exist, <laughs> no, no matter what the governor of Florida says, it is out of these great, my great love and respect for these women who are always with me in spirit, along with my late father, that when the situation is right, I am sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and the disabled who find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of those pernicious forms of disabled adult and financial elder abuse that you could ever imagine that seems to be running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and sometimes more probably than not these days, the lack thereof, or at least not a... Um, and an insignificant amount thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your your families or your small businesses, financial health, wealth and money related well-being. As I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum, however, once again, I must ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal advice. Nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational form for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed facts and other information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues you may need to assist you when you're seeking out and attempting to find the qualified professional help I believe you really need to have if you have a legal issue. that is, if someone is suing you or you need to sue somebody and that lawsuit, intersects with your finances or your assets, but especially if you're the one being sued concerning your debt. Okay. Well, I am just pleased as to say that I've heard a bunch of you out there in radio and podcast land. I've heard from you and you want to know more about me. <laughs> that is to say, you want to know more about one the person, along with more information about the hows and whys and where's I grew up and why and how it was that a little black girl who was born on a military installation deep in the heart of Dixie <laughs> in what was then officially a segregated state, now only tacitly segregated state of Mississippi <laughs> and, and I was born the same year as the United States Supreme Court purportedly ended racial segregation in public schools and actually s- extended a helping hand to to blacks, especially, but other disadvantaged individuals to welcome us in schools where we could have an opportunity to educate ourselves and uplift our families. And you also want to know how I ended up in all white or predominantly white public schools my entire childhood, even though I graduated from high school in nineteen seventy two. And if you do the math and have even the barest understanding of history of the United States, that meant that my educational formative years were were during the nineteen sixties, when segregation was the law of this land, notwithstanding Brown versus the Board of Education. That again was ruled in 1954, the same year I was born. Um, so you also wanted to know if, if my upbringing was why I was so crazy. <laughs> well, I'll answer the second question first. Yes, I admit I am a bit crazy. But, you know, if I take my meds, I, I'm okay for the most part. I, I'm i kidding about my meds. But whoever asked me that question, I thought that was really funny. But I want um to to help us understand uh, about me, uh, I remember the 1960s like they were yesterday. I remember when those four little black girls, Denise McNair, Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, and Carol Robinson were murdered by the Ku Klux Klan in their own place of worship nearly 60 years ago in 1963. I also remember when that very same year, President John Fitzgerald Kennedy was murdered in Dallas, Texas, and Lyndon Baines Johnson took its place in the Oval Office. And that led to the enactment of President Johnson's Great Society and the War on Poverty Programs, as well as a handful of laws that sought to enhance the civil rights of then especially black people, but other minorities here in the United States, of which I was and remain one. I remember these events uh, when they occurred because I was then eight and an almost nine year old fourth grader living in beautiful San Francisco before my mom and I went on our great adventure to Alaska. And I remember when Martin Luther King was assassinated on the Lorraine Balcony in Memphis on uh, April 4th, 1968, where the night before he had shared with the whole world the fact that he feared no one and he said he had been to the mountaintop. And I also remember when Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated in Los Angeles on June 5th, 1968, after winning the California Democratic primary. I remember these events because I was a 13, almost 14-year-old high school sophomore living in Fairbanks, Alaska, before I had accepted my late father's invitation to come and visit him and his mother deep in the heart of Dixie in Mississippi, the same little town where I was born and where ultimately I finished high school, notwithstanding the fact that the Supreme Court's implementation of Brown versus Board of education had not really occurred. Now, I remember the civil unrest and the protests about the war in Vietnam and how sometimes because my stepfather and father were in the military, I had to explain that I nor they were responsible for the destruction that had been caused by some Blacks in the Black community after they had protested some of the laws or the inability of the law to treat them with respect. And sometimes I actually had to explain to my classmates, um, you know, the fact that neither my father nor stepfather were involved in the atrocities in Vietnam um, because that was the public policy of the United States of America. Now, those are some of the painful memories that helped make me the strong woman that I am today. But when we come back, I'll share with you some great memories of some of the wonderful teachers and others who helped me get a great education that I rely on to this very day. But first, we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side.
2: Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your
1: host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. Before the break, I shared with you some of my memories of growing up in the 1960s and what I was exposed to. As sometimes I was the only black person in my school, and sometimes people asked me questions that made me feel comfortable. And other times people ask me questions that made me feel uncomfortable. And I'm just going to share with you that as a black person living in America, I have a duty to know about the other cultures in this country. I have some understanding of the culture of people who were reared or came from the Philippines, who came from Japan. I was able to spend some time in Europe. I understand that some people in Europe like the French and others don't, including some people from France. Uh, But I I find that many here, white people in America, don't think that they have a duty to learn about black folks. And I got to tell you, as a black woman living in America, I have a duty to understand the culture of the majority race in our society, as well as minority races, such that I can treat them with respect. But I've found that in some instances, um, some people think that as a minority, as a person of color, as a black woman, I have to only have um, the relationship wants to run one way. That is, I have a duty to not um, make white people feel uncomfortable but they don't have that same duty towards me. And that's not appropriate. And that's why I, I take offense with the fact that some in positions of leadership want us only to have a whitewashed version of the history of the United States. Now, the United States is a great country. I am a patriot, but there's some things that have happened in our history that are not to be lauded or applauded. And you have to know about those things to make sure that they don't occur again. But I want to share with you that, you know, notwithstanding some of the pain I've had to feel as a young person, as a young woman, and even to this day, I get slighted, but I just, you know, shake it off as Taylor Swift says, (laughs) one must do because we can't be drawn down in quagmire. But I wanted to share with you the fact that there have been some wonderful white people in my life who have loved me in the special way where they love me enough to help me become a good person and reinforce the fact that I already started out with as a good person and helped me grow as a good person. So. You know, I I have shared with you before that, um, you know, I I was born in Mississippi and by the grace of God, um, my folks, even though they split up, they thought that my getting a good education was their primary responsibility. And so um, after my uh, mother and father divorced, my dad supported us, my older brother and I coming out to the Bay Area with my mother and her mother And we stayed there uh, until my mother had an opportunity to go to Alaska to work. And she had heard and I did research and the schools were wonderful up there. And so I went along with her on this great adventure to uh, Fairbanks, Alaska when I was in the third grade. And I was just so excited about going there because um, there were Native people there, and it was kind of like a frontier kind of environment. Um, Fairbanks was a small town. It was uh, joined to a military installation, Fort Wainwright, and that's ultimately where my mother met her second husband, (laughs) but that's another story. Uh, But I started, uh, I, I I had started the third grade in San Francisco, and so- I halfway through the year, we decided to use the December holiday to travel up to Alaska. So I started um, the second half of the third grade uh, up in Alaska. And so the first thing that they put in front of me was an aptitude test. Now, i got to tell you, I've always been a really great student because I love school. I love learning. But my records hadn't gotten there. So they wanted me to take this aptitude test. Well, it kind of made sense to me. But I found the questions to be quite stupid. And so partway through it, I just stopped. I just put my pencil down. And so that meant to the person who was giving me the test that I must have had some kind of um, mental challenge. And so they put me in. A, a remedial reading course um a class because um what they did there was they segregated the three areas of learning and they tried to put you in the the level that was most appropriate for you and I thought that made sense so math and and, and reading um, were segregated um and then the whole life sciences so while i was in uh advanced for math and life science. They put me in this remedial reading class. And so, you know, it was me and, you know, a couple of people that had challenges. And so I that was the first time I got to intersect with the principal and told them that they didn't know what the hell they were doing. I didn't use the word hell, though, because I was a sweet little girl then still, still a sweet little girl now. But um, to make a long story short, it took me uh, about a week to prove to them that I should have been in the advanced reading class. But that was kind of like the tracking that sometimes goes on uh, to black and brown people. They look at us. And sometimes, you know, the reason why we don't want to go along with what it is that they are testing us on is because it's insulting. And so even then, (laughs) at that young age, I didn't put up with a lot of crap and I still don't do now. But anyway, the first uh, I was in the fifth grade and I had the best teacher that I ever had in my life. To this day, her name was Mrs. Millard. I don't I think it was just Ms. Millard, but because in those days she I don't think she'd ever married. But her name was Mrs. Millard. And what was so great about her? She exposed the class to the diary of Anne Frank. She would read to us every day for at least a half an hour. And the first book she read to us was The Diary of Anne Frank. Now, Ms. Millard had come up from Alaska to teach. Uh, She was from the Midwest. Um, She had come from a family of farmers. And so she considered, you know, Fairbanks, Alaska to be kind of like the last frontier. Kind of she had the same kind of attitude as my mom did. But reading to us. Every day I learned about what the Holocaust, I had no idea about the Holocaust until she read the Diary of Anne Frank to us. She read all that book the way through and she read another book to us. uh, Laura Ingalls book about the little house on the prairie that turned into a television show that. Some of us watched in, well, I was a teenager then and in Young Mom, but it was a, a very popular television show. Well, Laura Ingalls was a real person and um, Ms. Millard actually had met her. But the other thing that she did was so great. She introduced, because I was the only black person in the class, she introduced the class to Phyllis Wheatley. Now, Phyllis Wheatley is a black uh, was a black author who wrote beautiful poetry, she had been a slave um, and she gained her freedom through her intellect and I just i so admire a a white person in a predominantly white community, bending over backwards to find a book to share with my class, including me, respecting my heritage as a black person. And do you know what else? Now, I had Mrs. Millard in the fifth grade. And so up there, when you finish the sixth grade, you there would be a graduation program. Do you know that Mrs. Millard came to my graduation Um, And she gave me a copy of The Diary of Anne Frank, Laura Ingalls' Little House on the Prairie, and Phyllis Wheatley's book. And I have never forgotten that. That's what a wonderful teacher does. She makes sure that you understand the history of all people, respect them all, and to respect yourself. So... That's something about me that I thought you might like to know. (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to leave it there for now. But it's always in closing here on Selwyn's Law. We always want to stay on the right side of the law, including how we should use the laws of common courtesy and decency to respect all of our cultures and make sure every young person has some reason to respect himself, herself and her culture. So till next time, uh, take care, bye for now. Thank you for taking the
2: time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar and your rights are protected by Our laws protect your money, know your rights, partner with Selwyn Whitehead for immediate assistance. Or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com.
0: The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.